As we continue to think about the fifth commandment to honor our father and our mother, I will be uh, looking this morning at the implications of that commandment on us as we move into adulthood uh, to continue to honor our parents. And uh, before that, though, I want to to return to uh, our obligation to God to obey this commandment as parents and as children. Uh, Lord willing, next week we will be looking at the commandment's implications on Christian grandparenting. Uh, Before we read God's word to us from the gospel according to Mark, let us uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, help us now to turn our hearts to you and to hear what you will speak to your people this day. Grant us receptive hearts and willing spirits to not only hear, but to obey by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The passage this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. It is written. And he said to them, that is Jesus to the Pharisees and scribes, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mentioned several weeks ago that obeying God's law means was a means by which Christians are set apart from the world around them and allow them to give witness to God's character and goodness as God's people. And this is certainly the case for the fifth commandment. When the world sees a healthy family, husband and wife who love each other, who desire to serve each other, who are faithful to their marriage vows, parents who are devoted to their children, who love them and seek to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, children who are obedient to their parents and other adults who are respectful to those in authority over them as well as to their peers, who are joyful in their duties. It is an incredibly powerful witness. And the world takes notice because, let's be honest, the world isn't accustomed to seeing parents who are deeply devoted to loving and spending time with and disciplining their children. And children who are respectful and obedient and loving to their parents. Children who aren't just staring at an electronic device or zoned out from the world with earbuds in. A well-known man complained Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. 
Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, uh, talk too much in company, guzzle down food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize elders. That man was Socrates. who wrote these words some 400 years before Christ. So there is nothing new under the sun. It was and still is a strange thing to see families who honor God in their relationships with one another. Just about a month ago, we had a grown man approach my family in a restaurant while we were in the middle of our meal and commented to us that he had noticed how we had prayed over our meal and sat and talked to one another as a family, weren't looking at our phones, showed concern and care for one another, and how our children were well-behaved and respectful, although I confess that sometimes is not the case. But it impressed him enough to come and to speak to us. And every time, every time I've had all three of my children Out by myself without Elizabeth, I always get multiple comments from people shocked to see a father out with his three young children. And honestly, it is weird to me that people make comments like this. There isn't anything unusual to me about what we are doing. We are just doing what families do. We're spending time together. We're doing life together. We're seeking to love one another. But it is odd in the world's eyes. I've had non-Christian friends ask what we do with our children, asking for parenting advice. And here's the thing, and I want to be very, very clear about this. We are not obedience training our children. Our goal is not to make our children appear to be good, well-behaved children. Anyone can get their children to do what they say with the proper amount of force and training but I don't have the power to make my children good people. My children can obey me and secretly despise me, hate me in their hearts, and they would be violating the fifth commandment. You see, it isn't the external obedience that we are concerned with as much as the internal. What I am concerned with is their sin and their salvation. This is my priority in my parenting. And since I know that their righteousness is going to be found in Jesus Christ alone, I want everything I do to draw their attention to him alone who can save them from sin and death, reconcile them to God, and transform their lives. So we are gospel training our children. We want our children to understand that they have a deep need for the grace of God in Jesus Christ, to grow up trusting in the all-sufficient work of Christ, to rest in the efficacy of his blood shed for them on the cross, to place their identity in their baptism and not seek to find it in the things of this world. And out of a profound gratitude to God for his goodness to them, commit to serve him and to obey him no matter the cost. So this is where we want their obedience and respect for us as their parents to be rooted, not because they fear me or Elizabeth, but because they love the Lord and they desire to please him. And I want to make something else very clear as well. 
We understand that what we are doing as parents raising children in this way is spiritual warfare. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, as the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't want to be in any way confused or in denial about the reality that Satan has waged war against the family, especially Christian families. And we as parents are on the front lines of this battle fighting for our children's lives. As one Christian author writes, the enemy wants you to be in a league with him, not at enmity with him. He wants to claim you as his own for eternity. And if you have children, he wants them too. So what do we do? We take up spiritual weapons to fight against this spiritual battle. We saturate ourselves and our homes in the word of God. Rather than presume upon God to save our children, we plead with God to save our children. We pray that our children would be at enmity with the evil one and reconcile to God. We pray that they would no longer be deceived by the devil's lies, nor linger in rebellion against God. We pray that they will recognize the voice of their Savior when he calls to them, that they will be clothed by him in the righteousness of Christ. We pray that they will take hold of the grace that was promised in the midst of the curse. And we pray that when Christ sees his offspring, he will see the faces of our children. But we don't just pray in this direction, we live in this direction. Satan doesn't want us to take our children's sin seriously. He wants us to buy into the lie that they're just being kids. The truth is, though, that if we don't take their sin seriously, they will become as adults, those who have never dealt seriously with their sin. He wants us to be distracted from our children and he uses all sorts of things that are honorable and good to fill our time and our tension to keep us from actually parenting our children. He loves it when we return home from work exhausted and out of energy. He loves it when we are quickly angered and frustrated with our children. He wants us to take shortcuts in our parenting because parenting is really hard work. And parents... We know the things that we can do to get our kids out of our hair, don't we? Don't do it, though. Don't give the devil a foothold in your homes. Don't allow your children to be raised, as Pastor John said last week, by Disney or Netflix or Xbox or Cardi B. We must fight for our children and train them to be warriors as well. We're called to live lives of grateful obedience to God before them, modeling for our children what it looks like to love God and love neighbor. And I guarantee you the world will take notice. And so we recognize what's at stake here, the importance of the fifth commandment in this fallen world, the importance of teaching our children to obey it. And we also recognize how obeying this commandment can make us stand out and seem odd in the eyes of the world. But let me ask you this now. Is this commandment just directed at dependent children and their parents? 
because this is usually, at least it seems to me, where the emphasis lies in the preaching and teaching of this commandment. I think we all know the answer to that question, but Mark 7 makes it very explicit for us. What we find in Mark 7 is a discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes about commandments and traditions. The religious leaders accuse Jesus and his disciples of not holding to the laws concerning cleanliness by washing their hands before eating. Jesus, though, turns it around on them and exposes that exposes their traditions for what they are. This is the larger context of this passage. But I want to focus on the specific example that Jesus gives here. He rebukes the religious leaders and their tradition that allows people to diminish and even ignore their responsibility to care for their aging parents, to relieve themselves of their obligation to continue to obey the fifth commandment into adulthood. Verse 10 and following. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So what is Jesus referring to here? Well, the tradition allowed someone to declare his property, his belongings, to be dedicated to God, what they call Corban. And since vows must not be broken according to the law, this declaration of dedication was taken very seriously and allowed to supersede other responsibilities. In other words, they were trying to use the law against itself to negate following other certain parts of the law. So they were essentially using Corbin as a loophole to neglect caring for their parents in old age. This is what R.C. Sproul this morning in Sunday school was talking about, the loophole-ism. To make it worse, Jesus indicates that the people were declaring that their belongings were being dedicated to God, even though the gift had not actually been given in order that they might keep all of their money for themselves while avoiding their responsibility to honor their parents. It was essentially like saying, well, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, I can't help provide for you and care for you in your old age because I already promised all my money to God. Therefore, I don't really have anything to give to you. And Jesus calls them out for it. He calls them out for the ridiculousness of thinking that you could, with impure motives, dedicate something to God as a way of avoiding loving and caring for your parents. That you would use obeying God as an excuse for violating his law. So Jesus reveals here that what they are doing was contrary to the heart of God and the true spirit of the law, and as such, was a serious failure to love God and to love neighbor. And while this passage is a lesson in not missing the point of the law, we mustn't miss the point of Jesus's example. Obeying the fifth commandment is a lifelong obligation that we don't get to excuse ourselves from following. But the Pharisees and we with them should have already arrived at this conclusion for there is nothing in scripture that says the fifth commandment only applies to dependent adolescent children. 
And there's no place in God's word where we are given permission at a specific age or stage in life to begin disregarding our obligation to honor our parents. Instead, Proverbs 23, 22 instructs, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. This proverb is obviously addressing an adult whose parents are still alive. But even more poignant and powerful is the witness that Jesus gives as he's hanging from the cross to be concerned with the well-being of his mother and to seek to have continued provision and care for her. The gospel according to John chapter 19 verses 26 and 27 recounts for us. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that is John, Standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. As one commentator put it in about this intimate moment between son and mother, from the pulpit of his cross, Jesus preached a sermon on the fifth commandment. Even with the little breath he could muster from his suffocating position on the cross, Jesus spoke words of love and care to his mother, entrusting her into John's care. He ensured that she would be provided for and loved. And it's not insignificant that Jesus here is laying a foundation for the relationships we have in his family, the church. We therefore cannot ignore the fifth commandment, to honor our father and our mother throughout the course of our lives and to believe that we are living as a part of the new family of the people of God on earth. But there's more. If we look at Paul's instruction to the church through Timothy, we find this counsel in 1 Timothy 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, Let them first learn godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. We know that God has a special concern for widows, but who is primarily responsible for caring for them? The answer is, of course, their children and grandchildren. Honor these mothers and grandmothers, Paul tells their children and grandchildren. And what does it mean to honor them. It means to be respectful of them in their position as those whom God has given authority over their lives and to provide support for them spiritually, emotionally, physically, and financially. Why are children and grandchildren to honor them? Three reasons. First, because it is a way to practically live out their religion in the context of their own homes. They are called to obey God's word, which includes the fifth commandment. Again, you can't say you love God and love your neighbor if you aren't obeying God's word in loving your parents and grandparents. If they want to learn to be godly in the world, then they better learn to be godly at home first. And second, it allowed them to repay, so to speak, the love and care their mothers and grandmothers had for them in their childhood. It's a way to give back in gratitude for all their mothers and grandmothers had done for them in real acts of love. 
And thirdly, it was pleasing to God. It honored God to honor their mothers and grandmothers in this way. Now, hopefully we are seeing the consistent counsel of God's word here. There is then a very clear biblical precedent for children to continue to honor their parents throughout the course of their lives, even after they grow up and get gainfully employed and move out of their parents' home. So what does honoring our parents look like in young adulthood? What does honoring our parents look like after we are married? What does honoring our parents look like as they age and enter the final season of their life? Well, obviously, as we've seen, it means to respect them and to show gratitude toward them and to love them in word and in deed. But how this actually plays out in our lives can be complicated because our relationship changes with our parents once we become adults. We become less and less dependent on our parents as we grow up. We should no longer need their provision nor should we need their constant instruction in every aspect of our lives. And so, being respectful of them by being obedient to their instruction, what we did as children gives way to respect and appreciation in other forms. For instance, even when we don't need their instruction, we honor them. We show respect to them by seeking their counsel and listening to their wisdom. Honoring our parents in adulthood also means continuing to give them a certain precedence in life, making them a priority. We don't simply make a life for ourselves and forget about them. And yet, if the Lord wills to call us into the one flesh union of the covenant of marriage, the preeminent relationship in our life becomes with our spouse. Our primary responsibility is to our spouse, and if the Lord wills for us to have children, to them as well. Lord willing, I will address this in more detail next Sunday. So these are questions that must be worked out in the particulars of our lives with biblical wisdom rather than answered in a 20-25 minute sermon. But in another way, it isn't complicated at all, is it? What it means to honor our parents in adulthood is very straightforward. Scripture is very clear. We are not to despise our parents, to show contempt for our parents at any stage in life, in our thoughts, words, or actions. Rather, we are to love our parents as our neighbors. And so the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives to the household of faith apply directly to our relationship with our parents. As Paul writes to the Colossians, we are to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us, we must also forgive. And above all these things, we are to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are, we are to honor our parents with these sort of qualities and characteristics. That these qualities and characteristics would be modeled in our relationship with them. And by doing so, we honor the Lord. And this, I think, is especially helpful in one area where there seems to be a serious lack of resources for the church. 
And that is thinking about how to honor our parents as they age and enter the final season of life. I did a quick search to see how many resources I could find on this topic. It was just a quick search. But in a quick search, I found nothing. What I did find was many books written by healthcare professionals, PhDs, psychologists, about caring for aging parents, which had titles and subtitles like this. Tips for helping your aging parents without losing your mind. And how to help, how to survive. While I haven't read any of these books, I really doubt that they are going to help me rightly honor my parents by entering into this season of life with a mindset of, I'm just trying to survive. But don't get me wrong. I don't want to in any way downplay the difficulties of caring for an aging parent. Some of you know all too well that this is really, really hard work. I've witnessed it in my time in ministry. I've watched as people struggle to provide for their parents' needs, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and financially. I've been there when difficult decisions are made. But I've also had the opportunity to observe the sacred privilege of caring for aging parents. One of the most powerful experiences I've had as a pastor is sitting with a man and his dying father. I watched, and it's still very clear in my mind. I can hear the words verbatim. I watched as he held his father's hand, and with tears in his eyes, he told his father how much he loved him, that he was so thankful that he had had the privilege to be his son, as he told his father that he had been a wonderful father to him that he had been a marvelous teacher and mentor, that he had shared with him the greatest gift, faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I also watched as he asked forgiveness for the places where he had failed to honor him as his father. And he also offered forgiveness to his father for his failings as a father. It was a sacred moment, this conversation between father and son, to see the love shared in faith. It was a testimony of what Christian love between a parent and a child looks like. This man honored his father, and it gave me a picture, a beautiful picture of what honoring our parents to the end looks like. It was also, frankly, shocking and odd to see in a world where so many are totally self-absorbed, who view caring for parents as an unwanted burden and interruption in their lives. A study not too long ago found that barely half of all Americans think that children have a responsibility to care for their elderly parents. Barely half think that they have a responsibility to do that. And this is precisely why. We need to think intentionally about this commandment in this way. It is not only done in obedience to God out of love for him and out of love for our parents whom he has given to us, but it is a public witness to the world that family matters, that there is sanctity of life at all stages, that our parents are to be honored throughout their lives and ours as those whom God 
has placed in our lives as our overseers and representatives of his authority and love. And parents of young children, you will never be able to teach your children to obey this commandment if you aren't obeying it yourselves. And so let me say just a few things at this point. Honoring aging parents can be very practical and physical through becoming a caregiver. And if we find ourselves in this position, we honor aging parents by being compassionate toward them as their bodies and perhaps their minds begin to fail. The compassion here meaning that we share with them their sufferings, that we are willing and joyfully so to bear that burden with them. And our compassion is rooted in our understanding of how needy we are ourselves and how the Lord in his grace and mercy has come to our aid and been willing to suffer with and for us. We remember that Jesus Christ humbled himself and condescended to us, made himself available to us in our weakness and served us. We're called by the Apostle Paul in Philippians to have this mind that is ours in Christ Jesus and to look to the interests of others before our own, to serve others and practice humility. And this is especially the case in honoring our aging parents. We honor our parents by humbly and compassionately serving them as Christ has served us. And in our compassion, we are to be kind to them, to treat them as people who are valuable and worthy of dignity. As the Lord has been kind to us, even when our parents might not respond to us in kindness. But we remember that the Lord Jesus did what he did for us even while we were yet his enemies. And so we recognize their frailty, their vulnerability, which might not only include weakness and lack of stamina, but also irritability and confusion as their physical and cognitive abilities diminish. And we seek to be patient and understanding and gentle with them as they wrestle with the reality that they cannot do what they once could. And we should practice forgiveness. There will need to be a lot of forgiveness as they perhaps become frustrated and as our sinful nature gets the best of us and we become frustrated as well. But this is a wonderful opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine through and to experience God's grace together. And so this is an opportunity to do for them what they hopefully once did for you, to encourage them in the faith, to remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to allow these sacred moments of suffering together, to refine both you and your parents as you long together for redemption, the redemption of the body the resurrection of the dead, when our bodies will no longer be susceptible to aging and illness and death, when we will be made perfect and we will put on immortality. Oh, what a joy to honor our parents by reminding them of the hope of the gospel in their weakness. Now, this isn't to say that we are to carry the entire weight of caring for our aging parents alone, that it is entirely up to us. We're called to love them and to provide for them, and to get them the help they need. And sometimes that means getting help beyond what we ourselves can offer. And that's okay. But it does mean being willing to take self-sacrifice, even if it means picking up a phone to stop and call them daily or to let them 
know that they are loved and have, been, have not been forgotten. Or stopping by a care facility to let them know that they are loved and have not been forgotten. And because we don't have the power in and of ourselves to be all that they will need, we are to pray for them as they have prayed for us. We honor our parents by lifting them before the Lord. And it could be that your parents weren't really that great to you in childhood, that they weren't godly examples, or even worse, that they neglected you or abused you. And it might be that in adulthood, you would like to move as far from that toxic relationship as possible. But for those of you whom this might be the unfortunate case, let me offer a word of encouragement. It might be that they are not worthy of honor or respect, but honor and respect them anyhow. Seek reconciliation because God has made us his ambassadors of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Offer forgiveness to them if for no other reason than God has offered forgiveness in Jesus Christ even when we were unworthy of it. And this will be an undeniable witness of the power of a redeemed and resurrected life in Jesus Christ. And pray for them that the Lord might use you to bring about their salvation even now. Regardless of our circumstance, God calls us to honor our parents at every stage in life. I pray that the Lord would stir within us to obey him in this regard, giving us wisdom and strength to do it well to the glory of his name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us parents. Lord, we give you thanks for the parents who shared with us faith in Jesus Christ, parents who gave us good counsel, godly wisdom, who cared for us, who loved us. Lord, we pray that we would be able to honor them as they age. We pray that we would be able to honor them into adulthood. Lord, help us by your Spirit to do that, to be witnesses to the world of the love that we have for you by the ones that you have placed over us and authority over us as our parents. For we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And as we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Dear Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God. 